such a blessing to uh, have the freedom of jumping into Scripture together, and I want us to do that today. We are um, focusing in on this season of restoration, and we're walking through the Bible. You know, I mean, like, to be honest with you, I love this so much. I think that it might become something that um, the Lord challenges us on new levels in years ahead to understand. How many of you know just because we've done something doesn't mean it's the way it always should be done? We need to evaluate constantly. And I, we really have allowed going to church to become more like going to the movies when it should be more like going to the gym. This shouldn't be where we come to be entertained. This should become where we come to get, you know, to work out, to be prepared, equipped, empowered, to go out and make a difference and change the world. That's the call of God on every one of our lives. And we're going to see that with an incredible, unique clarity today as we look into where Jesus is revealed in the book of Nehemiah. And just so you understand very clearly, this is our objective. We want to walk through each and every book of the Bible. Last week we looked at Ezra. This week we look at Nehemiah. Next week, we look at Deborah, the constant theme through discovering Jesus in every book of the Bible, and you start to see categories of this. Right now, this in, in Scripture, this is a theme of complete and total restoration. This is an amazing theme for us to engage in in these books, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Deborah, and we're going to see that with such clarity. Nehemiah is, of course, the builder, but come on, let's believe God for restoration in this season of marriage, restoration in this season of life, restoration in this season of purity restoration in every area that needs to be restored, this is the season for us to say, that belongs to me. I take that in Jesus' name. And, and we need to understand this, and I'm going to provoke you to this even more so as we progress into this next year particularly. But the promises, the Bible says the promises of God belong to us through our what? It's an interesting verse of Scripture. The promises of God belong to us through our yes and amen. And what that means is God's word really deserves a response. So when I declare restoration and you say, I'm going to receive some of that, you say yes and amen. And we have a response to his word and we embrace his word. Aren't you glad Jesus, the word, came and was made flesh? But it's our response to Christ that actually brings salvation into our lives. It's the same with his word in every area, healing or restoration or whatever it may be. So we just receive that as we press into this. And the, the theme, the focal point of this has been John 5, where Jesus said, you search the scriptures because you think through the scriptures you have eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. You can grow in a knowledge of Scripture without growing in a knowledge of God. We don't want to grow in a knowledge of Scripture without growing in a knowledge of God. The goal in all of this is to grow in the knowledge of God. And if you're not careful, you start worshiping Bible reading, and you get real proud of your accomplishments in the Bible, and you lose sight of the humility of the nature of God. And we all need to work at this in our everyday lives. And so this is what Jesus is saying. The Scripture is only valid. The Scripture is only important. The Scripture is only life-giving because of Jesus. And so Jesus was in Genesis, and we saw it with clarity. Exodus. We went through every book all the way up to today. Nehemiah. Jesus revealed in Nehemiah. Jesus is revealed as Nehemiah, typified by Nehemiah as the ultimate builder and he restores and builds and Jesus is constantly at work he is the builder he's the chief cornerstone revealed in scripture isn't it wonderful to know we serve this King Jesus who's the chief cornerstone the master builder the true foundation upon which life is discovered and life is lived and and uh, and we walk that out in our everyday lives looking to him for guidance so what we want to do in this time is just get everybody 
reiterating, turn the page, right? Get an old-fashioned Bible, start in Genesis, write the date at the top, turn the page. If you like, uh, you know, to draw and you're more artsy, then uh, illustrated faith is a great thing for you, and we've been introducing those concepts different ways, but, but ultimately, I'm just asking, just keep turning the page. Even when you don't understand, read it and turn the page, because you're nourishing your spirit. This is not just about what I think and how I understand, though that's an important part of it. My spirit needs to be awakened. Let me just tell you something. There are some dreams from God that are so big you cannot contain them with your mind. Therefore, you cannot carry them in your way of thinking. You need your spirit to be alive. Come on, men and women of the spirit, men and women of eternal magnitude, men and women of eternal nature of God. So cultivate that element of your life. Develop yourself spiritually. Let me just challenge all of you. I actually was uh, going to do this in our elders meeting this week, but I just want to invite all of you as a church family. Join me. Thursday is fasting and prayer day. I've just determined. I just want to establish. I'm hungry for God. And maybe it's just a meal that day. Maybe it's the whole day. Whatever you determine, but let that be a day when we really focus. Because we meet and we worship on Sunday. And then Monday night, we have a prayer meeting here. And then Tuesday morning at 6 a.m., we have a prayer meeting here. And then Wednesday night, we have youth and kids and community groups all on the campus. And other days of the night uh, or day, we have community groups meeting. But on Thursday, you know, I was looking at this progression. On Thursday, that's when we're going to step into it, fast and pray and believe God. Let his kingdom come. Is anybody hungry for more of Jesus in this place. Stir ourselves up for the appetite of God. <clears throat> so turn the page and let's stay the course with what God's stirring in our hearts. Okay, Nehemiah, I want you to understand this is a really um, helpful message, I believe, for church today. I started thinking as I go out over the next year, this might be the message I need to carry because I believe it's vitally important for the church to get what I'm going to say today. Many people in the room have disqualified themselves because they simply don't understand what we're about to see revealed in Scripture. If you remember last week, I talked about Ezra, who's a priest, who studied the Scripture and taught the Scripture. And that's the typification of Christ in the book of Ezra, and there were others as well. Go back and listen to that if you'd like to see where Jesus is revealed in the book of Ezra. But if you remember, I said Ezra spoke of a spiritual nature of God, and Nehemiah speaks of a practical nature of God. And we need to understand God has both. There are two realms, two dimensions. There's a spirit realm and there's a natural realm. And we need to learn to keep our practical lives spiritual. How many of you know that's true? Our practical lives aren't just practical. Our practical lives are spiritual. There's a spiritual element to our practical lives. I, I mean, I'm just If you can get it, Tracy came in and she walked up and she kind of looked at me with that look. How many of you know when your wife gives a look, you better go for it. I mean, I planted one. I just like, hmm. Like and she, she freaked out because she wasn't giving me that quite that much of a look, typical man, right? And so, uh, like, I, I got basically all the lip gloss off her face. Um, and so, you know, that, that's, there's something very spiritual about that practical maneuver in a marriage relationship. Do you understand? Like, there's something really spiritual about the practical, and we need to see that. But also, not only is there something spiritual about the practical, but folks, there's something practical about the spiritual, and we need to learn to keep our spiritual lives practical, our practical lives spiritual, and work in both realms. Uh, you don't, and, and let, me, let me not minimize, we need to rebuke the devil out of division and divorce in some of our marriage relationships that have fallen under attack in Jesus' name. We need to address that thing spiritually. And then after we address it spiritually, we need to do something practically, like go out on a date, buy some flowers, leave a love note. Draw the bubble bath and put the rose petals from the front door to the bath where the music is playing. Come on, somebody get practical with me now. 
Hey, you know, there's something, something powerful in the practical. And so we see that. Ezra is all about the spiritual. Study the word, teach the word. Build the city. That's what he was doing. Build the city by studying the word, teaching the word. Let's empower people spiritually. Now we look at Nehemiah. Nehemiah wasn't a very spiritual guy in some of those respects. He's much more practical, and we're going to see this with such clarity today. But understand, Ezra was a priest. Uh, Micah, Isaiah, they're prophets. Nehemiah was not a priest. Nehemiah was not a prophet. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king. You get that? Like, he was a government official in a secular job. How many of you believe Nehemiah is a powerful man of God? Absolutely. He was, a, he was a government official in a secular position as the cupbearer to the king. This meant he was sipping from the same cup the king sipped from. And that's hugely important for what I want us to see today as the Lord's awakened something in me. I don't know if you can tell, but I'm like thrilled like on a whole other level today. So look out. I've not only had my coffee, I've had a double dose of the Holy Ghost today. And so we're going to get this thing. <laughs> So this is so fascinating to me because he's like sipping from the cup of the king. This is also a typification of Christ because Jesus talked about the cup, the cup of the king. Jesus is the king. Now, th this meant that Nehemiah and the king shared germs. How many of you in this room don't like somebody sipping from your cup? Uh, and so, you know, like I thought about Josh Sharp, Josh and Andrea and their kids, they'll be in the second service um, great leaders in the church, awesome, awesome family, love them so much. And Josh came here from Arkansas, and, uh, and when he came from Arkansas, you know, he's in our ministry training program, and now they're leading community group and so on, great, great couple. But Josh, he had this phobia when he came. Anybody know Josh in the early years? Like total phobia. I'm, I'm not talking about like don't sip from my cup. I'm talking about if he and I are having dinner across the table, and this happened, and my glass touched his glass, he would just quietly ever so discreetly ask the waitress when they came, could I get a different glass? <laughs> like, he's total germaphobe, okay? Uh, he really needed Jesus to deliver him in that time. And so you need to understand that because the story is so hilarious, especially understanding that. He was in a church service, and a lady came forward for prayer, and she's holding a crying baby. When somebody comes forward for prayer and you see them holding a crying baby, let me encourage you, if you're a trustworthy character, uh, help you know, with the baby. If you're like, if you're like an abductor, don't do that. But, but you understand. So help, help with the baby. Like go over and say, may I hold your baby, man? And so Josh goes over and he says, may I hold your baby? And, and you know, like Josh, he didn't know anything about holding the baby. So you, know, you kind of hold him like this and you're kind of looking at him. And, and like the baby, you know, he finally got the baby to stop crying by giving the baby a bottle. And so he gives the baby the bottle. The baby drinks the whole bottle. Like they're praying forever up there. The baby drinks the whole bottle. Josh is very young. He didn't understand when you... Give the baby the whole bottle. What should you do? Burp the baby. You don't play with the baby and hold the baby up in the air and go like this. Ah! You know where this is going. Ah! All in his mouth. The baby threw up in Josh Sharp's mouth. Is that awesome? That is awesome. That is amazing. That is like one of my favorite stories ever. And the baby threw up in his mouth because like my glass touched his glass and he was germaphobe by that. And a baby threw up in his mouth. It was awesome. <sighs> so, you know, we share germs with people like we're in relationship with. But 
This is, a, this is kind of the alliance that was taking place because Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king. He would share the cup with the king, and that was his role. That was his whole position. And so understanding this secular worker in a government position changed history. This secular worker. Listen, you don't have to pastor a church. You don't have to have an official title. You need to be a man or a woman of God right where you are every day that you live, and you can change history. I'm talking to some history makers in this place today. History makers. So here's the scenario. Jerusalem had been in ruins since its destruction by the Babylonians, since 586 B.C. This had been going on for well over a century. There, Jerusalem was in ruins. And what we see is Nehemiah leads the third of the three returns to restore Jerusalem. And who led the other two, by the way? Pop quiz. Last week we preached on Jesus in the book of Ezra. Yes, very good. I'm glad uh, you got this. Ezra led the first two returns to Jerusalem. Nehemiah led the third. And I said Nehemiah led the third of third, okay? And so it is kind of interesting, again, spiritual, practical, what comes first? Everything's born of the spirit realm and, and manifests in the practical. This world that we live in, everything that's like tangible, touchable, is all an expression of the spirit realm that's first. Have, listen, this world's going to pass away. You do understand that. But, but this world will pass away, yet be restored and replenished, born out of the spirit realm. Listen, folks, we got to get our spirit lives in order. And once we get our spirit lives in order, then we got to get our practical lives in order. Ezra came and got the spirit realm in order. And there was great opposition and a battle that took place. And it took Nehemiah out of a practical dimension to bring this thing home as he led the third of, of, the, third of the three returns. So here we start in Nehemiah chapter 1. And I want you to pay attention to Nehemiah's response to the information that a lot of people knew about. Nehemiah said in Nehemiah 1, verse 3 and 4, They said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down, I wept, I mourned, I fasted and prayed to God of heaven. What, what did he do? He sat down, he wept, he mourned, he fasted and prayed. Please hear me. Did you pass your books down? You've got your note cards ready because I know your pen is itching. You're thinking, I've got to get a blank in today. Here's your chance. Get your pen ready. Many knew about the city being in ruins, but Nehemiah took personal responsibility for the church of his day. Many knew the city was in ruins. But Nehemiah decided to take responsibility. So he sat down. My question to you today, will we slow down and pay attention to what God sees? First thing, how many of you are on the go all the time? Rush, rush here, rush there, rush. Do you take time to turn the page, pray? Listen, guys. Light your candle, play your worship, brew your coffee, fix your tea. If you're a purist, drink your water, whatever. But take some time and create an atmosphere where you can experience the presence of God. Sit down in his presence. 
what is burdening God should burden us. And like prayer to us is whatever's burdening me, I want it to burden God. But it should be God is revealing his heart to his people in a powerful and profound way. So he sat down, he wept. Not only will we slow down, but folks, are we willing to be touched by God with the things that touch his heart? I mean, like, why would you cry? You understand, Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king. Where did Nehemiah live? In the palace. <laughs> I mean, this guy was secure. He had no reason to be bothered with such unnecessary things like the church of his day not really having a prevailing influence in his society. Like many Christians today just are like doing their own thing. Would, would you agree? Like doing their own thing. They make it to church and they get the church done, but they're doing their own thing. And I just say, I believe the church should take a prevailing role in the community and the cities of this nation and turn this nation around because of the cause of Jesus Christ. But it won't happen until we're willing to sit down, until we're willing to be touched as Nehemiah was. He wept. And then it says he mourned. Not just am I touched by this, but do I feel what God feels about the pain in other people's lives? He mourned. He took some time away from his, his happy schedule in the palace. He sat down. He was touched by God. He mourned. What does that mean? Mourned, like prayed with feeling, prayed with empathy, prayed with a heart and a passion to care for others. And, then it, and that's exactly what happened. The fourth thing, he fasted and he prayed. Are we willing to be a part of the solution? I mean, you know, it's easier to make a point than it is to make a difference. But you're called to make a difference, so don't, so don't you dare settle for making a point. Let's get our talking points out there and hurl our insults against anybody that doesn't believe the way we believe. Nonsense. You're not called to make a point. You're called to make a difference. Why don't you embrace somebody that doesn't believe the way you believe and see what happens when you begin to love them. God, help us. Lord, we pray for the church. We pray for the church, the church in general in this nation. Help us to understand the call of God, that we would recognize what you have assigned to our lives. It's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance according to your word. So a gospel that lacks kindness is a gospel that will never produce repentance. Make us the kindest, most hospitable people the planet has ever experienced. In Jesus' name, all the people said, amen. amen. That's exactly what happened with Nehemiah, and this is what's so powerful about this today. I wish I could just preach for another hour on this because we need to study Scripture together. And I, what I'm trying to do each week is present to you a context and a history of each book so that you then can study those books more effectively on your own. I don't want to just inspire you and make you think that I'm a good speaker. I want to empower you so that you could know he's a wonderful Savior. That's what our objective is as a church. And so Nehemiah walked through this progression. He was touched. He, was, he, he literally felt the pain of God. He did something to be a part of the solution, and he was willing to do whatever it took in his role. Now, again, he lived in a palace, and so this, this, like, this is a big deal. To be the cupbearer of the king, this guy, he had to be able to discuss politics. He had to understand the king's legal system and have conversation. It was required of the cupbearer of the king that he be very handsome 
And so you, you understand there, it's just this interesting progression culturally when you start to look at who Nehemiah was, but ultimately this is what we all need to understand. Nehemiah was 100% secure for life as long as this king continued to reign. Nehemiah had a sense of comfort and security for his life. What would drive him to give up all of the comfort and security of living in the palace at the table of the king? Would you all say table? That's a really important part of this. He observed the table of the king. He experienced the table of the king. He expressed the table of the king. (coughs) Why would he give this up? Next blank. Because your life is about something bigger than you. Your life is about something bigger than you. No matter how much you succeed in life, no matter how you know, successful you become, no matter how much money you acquire, no matter how big of a home you build, no matter what the corporate empire is you lead, you are built for something beyond what this world has to offer. Nehemiah understood that as he came face to face with the reality. I'm born for something bigger than this. I mentioned a few weeks ago in one of the services, I don't think it hit both, but have you ever been to like the Grand Canyon or like skiing and you get up on top of the mountains and you look over this incredible vast nature that is you know, it's just mind-boggling, isn't it? And it's so awe-inspiring. And the reason that's so inspiring to us is because you and I are actually created by God and designed by God to bear His image, meaning we're actually, by the hand of God, to live in the shadow and expression of God who created all that stuff. So all the stuff really fascinates us, but not as much as this amazing God that you and I are to carry the expression of His life. And we don't understand to do that then we're going to constantly realize we're not living to our greatest potential. There are a lot of great things we can do, but we need to discover who God's called us to be. We are designed by God to express His image. So Nehemiah basically came to this resolve. Who cares about the city? Who cares? Who cares? 80% of college students today uh, of that age group in their 20s are actually leaving the church. Who cares? I care. We care. We will cultivate the ability to inspire and empower the next generation church. We will raise up elders of younger proportion. We will raise up leaders of younger proportion. We will raise up speakers, preachers, disciples, king's subjects in governmental positions that have a heart and a passion for Jesus Christ, people that actually love the expression of the church because they love what Jesus says is important in our world. We will raise, that's why we do a a youth conference. It's costly and, and takes time to accomplish those types of things, but we believe in inspiring and empowering the next generation church. I believe you and I were born for this hour. And as it was with Nehemiah, and as we'll see next week, Uh, with Deborah, then uh, there are people that are waiting for you and I to come into a greater knowledge and understanding of of who God has called us to be. They will be awakened when we figure this out. Nehemiah was a believer, not a priest, not a prophet. He served the Persian king in a secular position. I just want to reiterate that. He served. He had a job in a secular position. Here's the thing. Nehemiah shows us, next blank, Nehemiah shows us how God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things when we submit our lives to the desires of God. 
So here's something that's so unique, and this is kind of what I'm driving at to be the central component. You'll have to read this out yourself, but in Nehemiah chapter 5, we discover that Nehemiah actually invited people to his table. Very important. The table. Nehemiah invited people to his table to have a meal, to have a conversation. And it doesn't just say he invited his closest friends. It says that he invited strangers from other nations to come at his table. Now, Nehemiah was very wealthy. He had a big house. And in fact, his table apparently seated 150 people. So he had these large gatherings. And when you studied this out, it's amazing. He had the right to actually tax the people to pay for the parties that he was hosting, but he refused to tax the people because those were the people that were a part of his church, and though he could do it legally, he didn't feel right about it morally or ethically because he wanted to please God. So he, out of his own, do you understand what I'm saying? Out of his own expense, he invited people to his table to develop personal relationships with them. He saw, Nehemiah saw the way to transform a city was to invite people into his life on a personal level, friends and strangers. I believe the table of the king is critically important to the transformation of any city. And if you think about this, the table of the Lord was very important to Jesus. Jesus ate with his friends, right? The the famous Last Supper. I mean, we know they had these meals together. They had not only the ceremonial meals, but he ate with his friends. Jesus ate with publicans and sinners. These are people that were like problematic in society. And he went to their party and he ate at their table. Do you get me? He invited his friends to the table. He ate at the table with other people. Jesus saw the table as a really important thing. Jesus died buried, risen from the grave. And one of the first things he does when he's risen from the grave is what? Has a meal with his friends. Are we all together on how important this meal is? The table of the king is vitally important. We read near the end of the book of Revelation. Guess what? We're all going to experience together as the family of God. The marriage supper of the lamb. Like God is into this. Jesus is into this table thing. I believe that you and I need to get into this table thing. It's called hospitality. And let me just be so bold as to say something that will hopefully capture your attention a little bit with where I'm going. Our city will be transformed by our hospitality long before it is transformed by my preaching or other pastors' preaching. I said our city will be transformed by Christians' hospitality throughout the city long before our city will be transformed by a bunch of preachers preaching in churches. Now I've learned, I go to like speak at pastors conferences and things, and when I say stuff like this, it makes them very nervous, rightfully so, because there are a bunch of church haters that understand what I just said, and what they do is they minimize the empowering of the church as a family like this, when actually that's where our hospitality should be born, out of our gathering together, and our healing prayers, and our declaration. God, and by the way, uh, Ryan and I were talking in the, in the lobby today, and, I, and, and as I was talking to him, I was kind of doing like this, Oh, and my, man, my neck has just been killing me. And just out of conversation, he got up and he came over, one of our elders, and he just prayed for me. And like, I'm moving my neck around like nothing now. I just want to say God wants to heal us, restore us, replenish us, provide for us so that we can go and be the people he's called us to be. 
So when we gather like this, we should be not only inspired to say, wow, God is awesome, but we should be empowered to be the church. When we come to church, our lives are enriched. When we become the church, our world is enriched. The doctrine of Christian hospitality is required of pastors. 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. You can see it's a requirement of pastors. But also, you might be surprised, elders and pastors and leaders, that's requirement. Being hospitable. You have to practice Christian hospitality to be a Christian leader. But also, it's required of all Christians, according to Romans 16, where Paul commands the whole church Practice hospitality. And I believe what he's saying is the city will be turned upside down by Christian hospitality long before it will be turned upside down by preaching in the synagogues. Because preaching in the synagogues is to empower the people to go out and be the church. We can't go to church. We are the church. So let's be the church and let's change the world. Amen. So hospitality. Hospitality. It's an interesting word, isn't it? Hospitality is welcoming people into our lives. Listen, it involves a table. Hospitality is inviting people into our lives and sometimes inviting people into our homes. It's a novel thought that we've really moved away from. I read and was looking at this research. A Harvard professor had written a book called, I think it's called Bowling Alone, and references how restaurants... Uh, have seen a decrease in frequency by 40%. But fast food restaurants, like full-service restaurants, have reduced, but fast food restaurants have gone up 200%. You know why? Because we're more inclined to eat alone in a car than we are to sit down and have a relationship meal with people these days in our society. And I believe it's very counter-biblical for us to do that. Just like Nehemiah, Listen, God placed you where you are in your life and in your position, in your job, in your neighborhood. Just like Nehemiah, you have been strategically positioned by God for a purpose. Last verse I want to give you is out of Ephesians 2. Great verse out of the Living Bible translation of Scripture. It is God himself who's made us what we are and given us new lives from Christ Jesus. And long ago, he planned that we should spend these lives helping others. I believe our making a personal connection is a really important part of God's kingdom expanding in the earth. That's why you hear us say all the time, like all the time, we're not called to a place. We're called to a people. So like, you know, at the end of service, we have prayer teams that are available. Like, again, our elders will be up here at the conclusion in case anybody else just wants to come and receive prayer. They'll just be here for a few moments. But we provide that. Again, just we don't want you to leave without making a personal human connection. In a digital world, folks, we have to purpose human moments. But it's not just about the organized people that are available. It's about the relationships that exist in this room. So don't just dash out. Connect with somebody. Introduce yourself to somebody. Listen, here's, here's your commission this week. Uh, you know, every week's an action point. I'm not just preaching sermons to be preaching sermons. If all we're doing is listening to sermons, we're just getting more religious. 
So the action point, what I want to ask you to do this week, I want to ask you to to take somebody to dinner with somebody else you're taking to dinner. We call it dinner for six. So like Tracy and I would take Mark and Rosalia and Bill and Tanya and the six of us would go to dinner, our family units, whatever that is. We would go to dinner and I would say, Bill and Tanya, this is Mark and and Rosalia. Mark and Rosalia, this is Bill and Tanya. And I am the person in the middle introducing them. Why? Because that's hospitality. That's relationship. That's connection. Who do you know that needs to be connected to somebody else? You're the mediator between those two relationships. Do you realize what a powerful, powerful thing that could be? Well, that's it. I'm finished preaching my notes, but I believe God's continuing in this message. How many of you believe God's working on you right now? Let me just see your hand if you think he's working on you right now. He's working on us. We've gone to the heart today. We're talking our precious time. We're talking learning hospitality, building relationships, not just being isolated like the culture's taught us to do, but being relational like the Bible teaches us to do. So, Father, we just want to surrender to what you desire to accomplish today. Forgive us for any religious agenda. Help us to live free from that more and more and more as we become more like you. I thank you for this wonderful, wonderful group of people. We've gathered here because we have a hunger to know you and to make you known. We're all in different places in our journey. But you're here to meet every single one of us wherever we are. Jesus name just with heads bowed eyes closed if you're here and you say I am not in relationship with him I need to come to the table I need to be in relationship with God through Christ if that's you it's very important that you understand that decision is first and foremost if that's you slip up your hand I want to pray for you today you know you're not where you need to be in your relationship with Christ you just want to come to the table of the Lord thank you yes ma'am yes ma'am anybody else yes sir you can put your hands down anybody else Thank you, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Such a gracious God. Such a gracious God. Lord, we love you today and we thank you for helping us walk this out every day to become more like you, less like who we used to be, more like who you want us to be. That we might express the image of God more readily, more effectively. Jesus name come on let's all pray this together as a declaration of lordship of Jesus Christ today would you say this out loud everybody in the room Lord Jesus you came you lived you died but you're alive you're the savior of the world I'm lost without you I accept you're my savior be lord of my life rescue from rescue me from my past deliver me from my sin I might be who you've called me to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want us to celebrate Jesus, but I want us to do it with this in mind. How many of you agree the hospitality in your life needs to go up a few degrees? Can I just see? We're going to increase our hospitality up a few degrees, okay? Let's celebrate him today in that declaration. God is going to take us to a place we're willing to be uncomfortable that we might be who he's called us to be. Come on, let's lift up this... King Jesus today in honor. Lord, we recognize the table of the Lord.
is our priority. In Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Lord. Jesus.